Christmas comes, I don't know if when I was a child this song was playing or whatever, but there was a certain song that every time I hear it for some reason, it makes me think of when I was a child. And the second verse of that song goes like this. See if you know it. It says, says the little lamb to the shepherd boy, do you hear what? You've heard the song. And the song goes on. And actually, if you, I, I kind of played it uh, this week, and I'm listening to it. I'm like, wow, I listened to this as a kid. It reminds me of when I was a kid. The song really doesn't make a lot of sense, right? The stars are talking to the sheep. The sheep is talking to the boy. But here's the deal. It raises a really good question. And it's that question that I want to talk about for the next five weeks. Because I think the question I want to talk about for the next five weeks is an important question for you to be asking yourself this Christmas season. And the question is this, do you hear what I hear? Because here's what I know, this Christmas season, all of us hear something. At the holidays, at the holidays, the things that are going on in our head sometimes are very, very amplified. Here's what I mean. There are predominant noises in our brain, and at the holidays, those noises become amplified. For some of you at Christmas, here's what you hear, tick-tock, tick-tock, because you're thinking to yourself, I got 30 shopping days until Christmas, right? And so you're thinking to yourself, man, I better hurry up. I got to buy for, I got to get, I got to do this, we got to have this party. So what you hear is tick-tock, tick-tock. Others of you, you hear cha-ching, 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 right? Because your buyings are like, man, I got to pay for this, and I can't believe. Some of you got little kids, right? Or maybe your grandparents, and here's what you're hearing. The predominant noise in your mind this Christmas is this. How many days till Christmas, right? And they can't wait for Christmas. And then there's others of you, because I know your story. What you hear is a deafening silence. Because this last year, or maybe a year ago, or whatever the case may be, somebody very close to you is gone. Now there's a vacancy around the table, and now the noise that you wish you heard you don't hear. Here's the point. All of us at the holidays hear something. For some of us in this room at the holidays, because the holidays have a tendency to amplify that noise, for some of us, the predominant noise we hear in our voice has to do with our past. It has to do with our past. And for some of us, when the holidays come, all it does is magnifies and amplifies the noise of regrettable decisions we've made, disappointments, I can't believe, regrets. And they follow us like a shadow. We can't get rid of them. And the holidays have this way of amplifying that noise in our life. Others of us, is it not necessarily the past, right? For some of us, and and I know some of your stories, it's the present. It's like right now, it's today, because today you find yourself at the bottom of a mountain you never thought you were going to have to climb. You find yourself at the gate of a challenge you thought you were never going to have to walk through. And so all you can hear this Christmas, while everybody's celebrating, everybody's singing, everybody's laughing, all you can hear is, how am I going to get through today? How am I going to walk through the challenge of this moment in my life? And then there's others. It's not the past. It's not the present. It's the future. Like, like you may be that person who maybe, maybe it's, you watch the news and you're like, oh, my goodness, what's this world coming to? What in the world are my kids going to have? What is the future going to bring? And maybe you look at the news and you're like, man, oh, man, I can't believe. Whatever it is, the holidays have this way of somehow amplifying the noise that's already going on in our life. And the question is, what do you hear this Christmas? Because I can tell you this, the Christmas story is all about God wanting to cut through the noise of your life 
because he has something that he wants you to hear. And when we lean into the Christmas story, and we're gonna do that for the next five weeks, when we lean into the Christmas story, there are five, listen, five potent, five powerful, five life-changing things that God wants you to hear in and through the Christmas story. We're gonna spend the next five weeks unfolding them because he has something that he wants us to hear this Christmas. And his question for each of us in this room is this, do you hear what I hear? Will you allow my message of Christmas to cut through the noise of what is predominant in your life right now? And so this morning, I simply wanna look at one of those things. I just wanna look at one of those things that the Christmas story somehow speaks to us and ask the question, do you hear what I hear? What is God saying to you this Christmas? And here's what I wanna look at. The Christmas story tells me this. God says, and he wants you to hear this, I keep my promises. God says, I keep my promises. I've kept my promises. I am keeping them now and I will keep them always. You can count on me to keep my promises. Here's the deal. I know something about you because I just kind of know human nature. All of you in this room know the power of a promise. I already know that about you. You know the power of a promise. Some of you know that, and here's how you know that, because this last year has been devastating for you. Because someone in your life broke a promise to you, and you know the devastation of that. For some of you, it was a spouse. For some of you, it was maybe your parents. For some of you, it was your boss. I don't know who it was, but but somebody made a promise to you and they broke the promise. They didn't keep the promise. They over-promised and under-delivered. And you know the devastation of that because broken promises have a way of shattering our security. They have a way of trampling on our trust. They have a way of robbing our joy. And some of you are experiencing that right now. And so because of that, you know the power of a promise because you're like, I know what it feels like to have a promise broken. Others of us were on the other end of that, right? I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand because others of us, we've broken a promise this last year, right? And as I'm looking at a crowd this size, my chances are there, there are several of us in here, we've made promises maybe to our kids, maybe to our spouse, and we couldn't keep that promise. And for some of us in the room, it was, it was something that we couldn't control. Like we made a promise well-intentioned to our children. I'm gonna be at your game, I promise you. And that was the night the boss said, you must work overtime. And you had no control. And you remember the look in your kid's eyes when you came home, you're like, oh my goodness, I could not keep my promise. I had no control. I wasn't strong enough or smart enough to control the situation. I thought I would be able to keep the promise, but I was not in control of everything necessary to keep the promise. Others of us, others of us, if we're honest, don't raise your hand, if we're honest, it's just in our character to overpromise and underdeliver. Like, like we like it when people like us, when we make big promises, and yet the truth is we make big promises and we under deliver. What's the point? Listen close. I want you to lean in. There is a power in a promise. And there is a power when someone who is faithful enough, strong enough, and smart enough makes a promise. When they're faithful enough, and they're strong enough, and they're smart enough to keep that promise, that promise, listen close. This is maybe worth writing down somewhere. That kind of promise leads to security. And that kind of security leads to intimacy. 
You see, it's only that kind of security that will lead me to intimacy because the one making the promise is faithful. He will keep the promise. You're saying, Dan, why are you making a big deal about that? Listen, listen, because that's Christmas. That's Christmas. Christmas is all about a God of the promise. And he makes the promise. He keeps the promise. You know why? Because God, everybody look here, God, everybody look here, God wants to have an intimate relationship with you. See, what I want to talk to you about this morning, I simply want to rearrange, I want everybody to listen, rearrange what some of you think about God because some of you have a thought about God that Christmas shatters. You see, God is a God who always keeps his promise, and the story of Christmas tells me that. He's saying, Dan, how does the story of Christmas tell me that? Well, here's how the story of Christmas, stay with me. I'm going to take you on a big, big journey, but you've got to go with me. Do the hard work. Shake your head. You willing to do that? You willing to do that? Yeah? Here we go. The story of Christmas doesn't start at Christmas. The story of Christmas starts at the very beginning of time. At the very beginning of time, God created. And when he created, he said, it is good. In the middle of everything that's good, in the middle of this paradise, in the middle of this incredible world that God created, he placed a man and a woman named Adam and Eve. He placed him in the Garden of Eden, in this place called Paradise, in this incredible garden. And as he placed Adam and Eve in this incredible garden, he said, I want you to enjoy, manage, tend, explore, have adventure in this garden. God placed Adam and Eve in this garden, listen close, and God said, yes. He said, yes, enjoy the fruit of those trees over there. Yes, enjoy the vegetables in that garden there. Yes, all of those animals are for your enjoyment. Yes, those resources, I want you to mine those resources. Yes, that wilderness, I want you to explore. Yes, 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 yes. And there's one tree. There's one tree in the middle of all that yes. Tree of knowledge of good and evil. I don't want you to eat from that tree. I want you to enjoy all of my yes. That one tree. I don't want you eating from that tree. Along comes a serpent. We know from reading our Bible that serpent is Satan himself. And you know what his mode of operation was? Don't miss this. Satan's mode of operation, he's doing the same thing today, was to in the middle of all of God's awesome yes, he got them to fixate on the one No. He got Eve to fixate on the one no so that she forgot about all of the yes that God had given them. And all she could think about is what if I partook of the no? What's God trying to hold back from me? What is he withholding from me? Maybe there's something more. Maybe God doesn't have my best in mind. And so Satan got Eve and then eventually Adam to fixate on the one no. And in fixating on the one no, they said yes to God's no. And therefore they said no to God's yes. And that minute sin entered the human race. God pronounced a curse and consequence on the man and on the woman. And then he had a conversation with Satan, the serpent. And in the middle of the curse that he pronounces on the serpent is the very first promise of Christmas. Maybe you missed it in reading the story. Because in the middle of the curse that he pronounced on the serpent, he said, listen, you're going to crawl around on your belly. And then Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, he says, I want to tell you something. 
This is thousands of years before the first Christmas. I'm gonna put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he'll crush your head and you'll strike his heel. Eventually that woman's gonna have kids and they're gonna have kids and eventually one of those kids is gonna crush you. He's gonna destroy you. You're gonna nip him in the heel, but I want mankind to enjoy my yes. And now that they've sinned, they're separated from me. And so I'm gonna bring somebody who's gonna usher in my yes. God said yes. It's fascinating. You read the story. You go from Genesis chapter three and you begin to read about mankind and sin begins to run rampant and men and women begin to say no to God's yes, yes to God's no and live independent of God. If you read the story, you read about a big flood, God sends Noah. And then all of a sudden you read about men building a tower and God confounding their language and God is so desperate to say yes to us that he picks a man He picks a man and he says, through his family, I'm gonna bless the whole world. And that man's name is Abraham. And he says this to Abraham in Genesis 12, about 2,000 years before the first Christmas. He says, I'm gonna make you into a great nation. I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna make your name great. You'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I'm gonna curse. And look at this. All the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. And God basically promises to Abraham a son that through that son eventually is going to come this promised one. Everybody look here. The problem with that was this. Abraham was old. And it was almost laughable, almost laughable that God would make that promise to Abraham that I'm going to say yes to all of mankind through a son that you're going to have. In fact, it was so laughable, Abraham and Sarah didn't believe it. Sarah said, why don't you go sleep with my servant? Abraham did. They had Ishmael, and God said, you don't understand, I always keep my promise. I always keep my promise. And eventually, Abraham and Sarah had a son whose name was Isaac, which means laughter. And Isaac had a son, his name was Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons, and one of those sons' name was Judah. And when Jacob got to the end of his life, he called his sons around him and he began to put his hands on them and pronounce blessing on them and pronounce things on them that were important for them to understand as their life went forward. And when he got to one of his sons, one of his sons whose name was Judah, he says this in Genesis chapter 49, he says, the scepter, like the the ruling staff will not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he to whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of the nation shall be his. That, that God literally through Jacob pronounces to Judah that this child of a promise is gonna come through your family somehow. Everybody look here a second because that sounds neat and packaged at Christmas time in a church service, but you gotta understand the story of Judah because that almost seems impossible. How's God gonna fulfill his promise through him? Have you ever heard the story of Judah? He had a son, and that son married a gal named Tamar. His son was wicked. His son was wicked, so wicked that he eventually died. In their culture, in their culture, when one of the boys died and he was married, the next son took over. He was married then to the widow of his brother. And so Judah gives his next son to Tamar. He was so wicked he died as well. He's like, man, things aren't going well. Every son I give to Tamar dies. Something's wrong, right? So he says to Tamar, why don't you go grieve? And 
when the time's right, I'll send my youngest son to be married to you. The problem was he did not keep his, what, promise. And so Tamar, his daughter-in-law who lost her husband, she's grieving and she knows that her father-in-law is not going to keep the promise. You know what she does? She decides when she hears Judah's going to come to town, he's still grieving, she's going to dress like a prostitute. Totally disguise herself. Judah comes to town. He's like, I am in such sorrow. And he finds the first prostitute he comes to, not knowing it's his widowed daughter-in-law. And he spends the night with her. And he pays her with his cord and his seal. And then he gets out of town. Eventually, word gets back to Judah. Same Judah. Listen, your daughter-in-law's pregnant. Judah says, what a wicked daughter-in-law. Stoner, be glad to do that. Whose kid is it? She sends the seal and the cord. I'm having the kid of whoever owns these, and he realizes it's mine. You got to understand the story. You can check me on this, Deuteronomy 23. Because of what happened in the life of Judah, listen to me, his family, stay with me, church, 10 generations, 10, say it out loud with me, 10 generations forfeit the opportunity to go to the house of worship, Deuteronomy 23. And you begin to think, God, did you make a mistake? The promise is going to come through this dude? When you read Judah's story, all of a sudden you realize that he has a great, 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 nine times grandson, 10 generations later, whose name happens to be David. Have you ever heard of David? David happens to be a king of Israel. God says he's a man after my own heart. And he says, I'm going to keep my promise. And he says this to David. He says, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Why? Because God's saying, listen, I always keep my promises. Everything seems good and well. David, it's going to literally come through you. The king I'm sending is going to be through your line. Everything seems great until David goes off the scene, gives over the kingdom to his son Solomon. Solomon gives it over to his son, sons, and then eventually this kingdom that's united gets divided. And literally in the southern and northern kingdoms, everybody's turning their back on God. Everybody's doing their own thing. Everybody's saying yes to God's no and no to God's yes. And God sends preachers to talk to the people who won't listen to a God who wants to say yes to them. And one of those preachers, listen, listen, 700 years before the first Christmas, his name is Isaiah. And he says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign and the virgin The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Everybody look here. It's almost like God saying, I'm going to keep my promise. And it's almost like he's saying, I'm going to make it difficult. Because this kid's going to come from a virgin. And you can imagine 700 years before the first Christmas, like, what? And this promise that literally thousands of years before was spoken in the midst of the curse of the serpent, he says, I'm going to keep my promise. And in case that's not difficult enough, I'm going to send another preacher. His name's Micah. And I'm going to tell you exactly where it's going to happen. But you, Bethlehem, though you're small among the clans of, there's our word, Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. 
God says through this preacher, Mike, he says, listen, I'm not only gonna tell you this child's gonna come from a virgin, I'm gonna tell you that he's gonna come and he's gonna come to Bethlehem, a place you never expected. Everybody look here. The end of your Old Testament, the last page of your Old Testament begins 400 years of absolute silence. We're gonna talk about that next week. Absolute silence in terms of any written word from God. And when you open the first page of the New Testament of your Bible, here's what you'll find. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of who? David the king, who happened to be related to the son of Abraham. Oh, by the way, who happened to be the grandpa of a guy named Judah, who happened to be related to a guy named Jacob. And the story goes on, verse 18, and this is exactly how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, what does that mean? It means what you think it means. That's what it means. Before they had sexual union together, that's what it means. She was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law. He didn't want to expose her to public disgrace. Like, what's going on? So he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, God sends an angel in a dream and says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Why? Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. How did that happen? All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, did I say 700 years before? The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And in case that's not enough, keep reading in Matthew chapter two, it says after Jesus was born, where? In Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod. Oh, and by the way, don't skip verse 21. She'll give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. How did he do that? At the cross, that serpent nipped his heel, and at the cross, Jesus crushed his head. The story of Christmas, listen close, is all about a God who always keeps his promises. He keeps his promises. Literally thousands of years before, he says, I'm gonna send part of the offspring of Eve and that offspring of Eve is gonna crush the head of the serpent. I keep my word. I never overpromise and underdeliver. I'm faithful, I'm strong enough, I'm smart enough. I keep my promise. Why is that important today? Now listen, everybody look here. Why is that important today? Because that's the story of Christmas. And this Christmas, here's what God wants you and I to hear. Do you hear what I hear? Dan, I keep all of my promises. In this book that you have in your laps, in this book, someone count it. There are somewhere around 7,000 promises of God. 7,000 promises of God. Not all of them are for us. Don't be mistaken. Not all of them are for us, but there are hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of promises that God has made to us. And what's the point? 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Here's what it says. Everybody look at the screen. For no matter how many promises God has made, 
they are yes in Christ. And so through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Everybody look here a second. The story of Christmas changes and shatters our paradigm of God. What Paul says is this, is that no matter how many promises God has made in this word, they are yes in Christ. The answer is yes. The answer is yes, 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 yes. There is power in knowing the answer is yes beforehand. You already know that. I know that. You know how I know that? It changes the way you walk around. It changes the way you approach a relationship. I know that because in college, there was a gal that I had my eye on. I wanted to ask this gal out, and all my friends said, she's way out of your league. Raise your hand if you ever had a, wanted to date a gal that was way out of your league. Anybody with me on that? Yeah. Somebody's like looking at their wife. All right, that's cool, right? I wanted to date this gal, and I wanted to ask her out, but I'm going to tell you gals something about guys. We're afraid to ask gals out. You know why? Because we're afraid they're going to say... No, right? And this gal was out of my league, and so everywhere I went, you know, I refused to talk to her, right? I was scared she's going to say no. So I just kind of show up where she's at, but I didn't ask her out. I was like, you know, just kind of checking things out. But I was afraid because if I asked her out, she might say no. If I tried to get to her, she might say no. She might reject me. I saw her, and when I saw her, all I could think about was she might say no. That's all I could think about until one day one of her friends told one of my friends, said, hey, I want you to know something that so-and-so is kind of hoping that Dan will ask her out. That friend came and said, hey, I want to tell you something. If you ask her out, the answer is yes. Can I tell you something? That changed the way I walked around. (laughs) Next time I saw her, I walked in the room. I'm like, hey, I'm Dan, right? Like I had some confidence. You know what I'm saying? Because I knew what? I knew the answer was what? I knew the answer was going to be yes. I'm like, hey, I'm Dan. What's your name? She told me her name. I said, hey, I'm curious. Would you like to go out on? Yes, she said. I said, that's good. I knew the answer. And the answer was yes. Why is that important? Because of Christmas, in Jesus, God's answer is yes to his promises. Guys, look here. The reason that's important, because some of you in this room only know the God of the no. That's the God you grew up with. You only know the God of the no. And just like the beginning of time, Satan wants us to fixate and focus on the no and forfeit the yes of God. Some of us are living in our relationship with God and all our relationship is defined by is the no. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And it's this restrictive no. And we don't know the God of the yes. The Christian life Following Jesus is more than just avoiding no. The Christian life and following Jesus is running into God's yes for you. And what Paul says is this. Have you said yes to all of God's yes in your life? You're saying, well, how does that play out in my life? Look here. Three real quick ways this this somehow leans into our life. There are some of you. This morning, and all you can hear in, in your life is the ghost of Christmas past. It's all you can hear. The regrettable things that you've done, 
the decisions. Maybe this last year, you've made some awful decisions. You've had some terrible attitudes and, and, and shame follows you around. Guilt paralyzes you. And all you can think about is your past and everybody around you reminds you of your past. And like, I can't believe you did this and that's terrible. You should be ashamed and da, da, da. And, and you walk around and oh, it just pounds in your brain all the things in your past and I can't believe. And the question you have this Christmas is, God, can you and will you forgive me? And he says, yes, yes, before you can even get the words out, yes, 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 yes. The answer is yes in Christ. In Ephesians, it says this, it says, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the what? Forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Like he's got a bank account of grace and he pours out forgiveness in accordance with how much he's got in the bank. Some of you are walking around and saying, but Dan, you don't know. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've been involved in. Dan, you don't understand who I've been associated with. And I'm not sure God could ever accept me. I mean, God, would you, will you ever accept me? And the answer is yes. He says in Galatians, he says, if you are Christ, then you're Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. I love the way, I love the way John Piper puts it. He says, all the promises of God are for the good of his people focused in Christ. He confirms them, secures them. They belong to him. Listen to this. Every sinner who comes to God in Christ with all of his need finds God coming to him in Christ with all of his promises. I'll say that again. Every sinner who comes to God in Christ with all of his need finds God coming to him in Christ with all of his promises. When a sinful person meets the holy God in Christ, what he hears is, yes, do you love me? Yes. Will you forgive me? Yes. Will you accept me? Yes. Will you help me change? Yes. Will you give me power to serve you? Yes. Will you keep me? Yes. Will you show me your glory? Yes, 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 and yes. Guys, listen, listen, listen. I know some of your stories. Religion for some of you has been about the God of the no. And it reminds me of the story Pastor Bob told us last week. In John 8, a bunch of religious guys go and drag this woman out caught in the act of adultery and they throw her in front of Jesus and they grab their rocks and on every last one of their rocks is a no. And they're waiting to cast their rocks like, all right, Jesus, what do you think we ought to do to her? My guess is this woman is just like, oh, just kind of looking and embarrassed and ashamed, just like some of you feel today. And she's expecting Jesus to say no. Instead, he looks at every last one of them. He says, listen, start throwing if you have no sin in your life. One by one, they walk away. This woman looks up at Jesus and he says, where's your accusers? They're not here, but you are, and I don't know. And he says, listen, I didn't come. I didn't come to condemn. I didn't come to cast rocks with no. I came to give you a gospel that says God says yes. See, some of you, the, the, the ghost of Christmas past, screaming in your ear. That's why what Paul says is so important. He says, listen, because the promises are yes in Christ, through him, the amen. That sounds like a church word, right? 
Right? You hear, you've ever been in church and say, amen, right? At the end of your prayer, say, amen. That word is a Hebrew word carried through Greek, and we use it in English, and here's all it means. It means let it be. I agree. I agree. Well, how does that play out if I'm carrying around a bunch of garbage from my past? Here's what God says. If we confess, you know what confess means? I agree with God on this. If I just agree with God on the fact that I'm a sinner, guess what? He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. Boom, promises yes in Christ. The promise is yes in Christ. To confess my sin is to say yes to God's yes in Christ. A couple days ago, I was going through an old drawer and uh, I pulled out a bunch of papers, right? Pulled out a bunch of papers, and in there was some envelopes for some reason I'd kept for the last 10, 15 years. I, I'm not really a guy who keeps things very long. So I pulled them out. I'm going to look at them, right? And I sat them on the table, and I'm going through them one at a time. And I'm opening these cards that I received from people, you know, Aunt Mildred and Uncle Festus. You know, I'm just rereading them and like, hey, that's kind of cool. They wrote me this 10 years ago. They wrote me this eight years ago. And I opened this one card from somebody who I love, and they wanted to send me this card. I don't know if it was for my birthday or I can't remember now what it was, but I opened the card, and guess what? Out of that card fell a check. It was written to me eight years ago. A check that I probably needed at the time. That was eight years old, a check that for some reason I put back in that card and I never cashed. Anybody ever do that? Raise your hand. Anybody? Nobody. All right. Well, I'm feeling, I feel special today, all right? So I did. There's my confession, right? I remember looking at that check and saying, oh, my goodness. That check's been sitting in there for the last eight years. The last eight years. I could have cashed that check. I didn't cash that check. That check somebody wrote to me. They wanted to bless me. Everybody look here a second. On most of your tables at home sits that book. And so many of us look at that book and we're afraid to open that book because we think in that book God writes invoices. You owe me, pay this, pay this. And yet what he wants you to hear today is that in this book, in this book, God writes checks. He writes checks. And he says, the answer is yes in Christ. Will you love me? Yes. Could you ever accept me? Yes. Is there any way you could forgive me? Yes. How can I know I'd be secure? Yes in Christ. Yes, yes, yes. He says, listen, 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 listen. He said, don't leave my yes on the table. Don't you dare leave my yes unopened. I'm the God of the yes. For some of you, it's not the ghost of Christmas past. That's, that's not what it is for you. It's the, the ghost of Christmas present, to be honest. Some of you find yourself at the bottom of a mountain you never, ever thought you would have to climb. I talked to a dear friend of mine before the first service, and she's walking a journey she never would have chosen or anticipated. She said, I'm mad, I'm hurt, I'm frustrated, I'm disappointed, I'm confused, I don't know. And for some of you, you look at your present, and you're like, how am I going to get through this? How am I ever going to survive this? How in the world will I be able to overcome this challenge? And for some of us, 
we look at God and we are so used to the God of the no, the God of the no and thou shalt not and all of those things that we see him almost like the Ebenezer Scrooge of the sky. Because for some of us, the very first thing we think about is when we think about God, we think the 10 commandments. And that's awesome. And they're real and they're true and they're great. And thou shalt not. Eight of them are thou shalt not. Two of them, by the way, are positive. Thou shalt not. And so we, we get fixated on the God of thou shalt not and the no and I, what in the world? And I got this challenge. And we forget that those 10 commandments, this God that we see as the God of the restriction, that those 10 commandments were given to people that God was leading into the what? The promised land. And he says, all of these thou shalt nots, every no that I give you is so that you can enjoy even more so my yes. Like God wants you to enjoy his yes. Well, why would he tell us not to do that? Because he has a yes. For some of you, you're at the bottom of this mountain. You're like, oh my goodness. How, how, God, will you help me? Can you help me? And he says, Yes. I'll never leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can men do to me? This dear lady I was talking to, she says, Dan, I don't know what to do. I don't know the answers. It's so hard. It's so difficult. I don't think I can survive it. She said, will God help me? God says, I'll never leave you. I promise you, James 1, that when you face things you don't understand, whereas you might not get the answer that you expected, I will give you wisdom. God, will you help me? I feel too weak to go on. I promise you, Hebrews 13, I will be your strength when you are weak. God, it feels like you're not doing anything in my life. It feels like you're quiet. Philippians 1, I promise you, I'm going to complete the work that I started in you. God, I'm facing this temptation. I can't seem to find a way out. I promise you, 1 Corinthians 10, that I will help you. The answer is yes, 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 yes. Some of us in the room, Satan has us so fixated on God's no that we've missed the yes. See, here's how I know I'm running into God's yes. Here's how I know when I'm running into God's yes. I simply got to look at my prayer life and I got to ask myself two questions. First, am I running into God's presence because God's yes is found in his presence? I know you don't struggle with this, but I struggle with the fact that when I face a difficult time, I'll find a way out. I'll fix it. I'll find a solution. God says, I want you to run into my presence because in the middle of something you can't handle on your own, I'm the God of the yes. And Dan, what I want more than anything is for you to run to me. I simply have to look and say, Dan, am I praying and how am I praying? Because many times, many times in my prayer life, I pray and I demand God give me this and I miss what he's already said yes to. Like, like he has said, yes, 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 yes. It's all here, and it's just waiting. It's just waiting. For a whole bunch of us, it's, it's maybe not the past. It's maybe not the present. Probably most of us, it, it has something to do with the future. Like, you don't have to watch the news much. to be like, what's this world coming to? 
And you begin to, to worry and get anxious. and like, God, what in the world is this world coming to? God, is it going to be okay? And he says, yes. In Christ, my promises are yes. And just like I promised he'd come the first time, and thousands of years later, bam, there he is. I'm promising he's coming back. And when he does, look at this. Revelation says this. A new heaven, new earth. For the first heaven, first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Stay with me on this. Saw so the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he'll dwell with them. They'll be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Check this out. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Anybody want to say amen to that in the room? I'm looking forward to that. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. God is saying, I always keep my promise. That check is in the mail. You see, when I live in light of God's yes, it repla- my worry gets replaced with worship. My anxiety gets replaced with anticipation. My fear gets replaced with faith. It begs a pretty important question. It begs a pretty important question. I'm going to ask the band to come out and set up, and I want to engage that question as we close this morning. Because the question some of you have is this, then why doesn't God hurry up and keep that promise? Amen? Wouldn't it be a lot simpler if God just hurry up and make good on that promise? Because it feels like our world is a mess. I think that's a fair question, and God gives us an answer. Everybody look here a second. And part of his answer to that question has everything to do with some of you in this room. Because here's what he says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. He says, I don't want you to forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his, there's our word, promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient like the song Aiden let us in not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Everybody look here a second. Why doesn't God fulfill that promise? Because there's some of you in the room that have never opened the first envelope where God said yes to you. And he's waiting for you to say yes to him. Why? Because he loves you. And Christmas is about him sending Jesus for you. And he's not willing that any should perish, but that all, all would recognize that he's the God of the yes. I'd love for you to bow your heads with me as we close this morning. There's some of you in the room that have never said yes to Jesus. Some of you in the room have never... You might be churched. You might even know the Christmas story better than anyone else in the room, me included. You might even be a really moral person. The story of Christmas is about a God who came and died in your place. Why? Because he loves you. And what he wants more than anything is an intimate relationship with you. And in Christ, he said yes to you. He said yes to you. 
And this morning, you can have a relationship with that God by simply saying yes to him. Yes, Jesus, I believe you love me. Yes, Jesus, I believe you died for me. Yes, Jesus, I want to spend the rest of my life saying yes to you because I believe you're the God of the yes. If you'll simply have that conversation in your seat this morning, God says this, I keep my promises. You are now my child. Sins are forgiven and heaven is your home. My friend, if you had that conversation in your seat, I want to hear from you somehow. Fill your connection card out, email, call, punch me in the arm afterwards. Let me know that you said yes to Jesus. I know some of your stories. As I look out into the eyes of this crowd, there are some of you, you're followers of Christ, and yet you're past. This last year, you've made decisions. They're regrettable. They're disappointing. They're shameful. Everybody around you is, is, is letting you know you should be ashamed of them, and you're paralyzed by your past. You're paralyzed by your guilt. And so you're afraid of God because you're somehow afraid of the God of the no. You're afraid that God is going to reject you, and God is just waiting for you to realize that he's the God of the yes, that in Christ, if you'll simply agree with him, he's saying, I want to forgive you. I want you to start living in the freedom of forgiveness. I keep my promises. And I'll remove sin as far as the east is from the west. That's what I do. I'm the God of the yes. Some of you are at the base of that mountain and you're like, I don't know how I'm going to, I don't know how I'm going to get over that mountain. I don't know how I'm going to get through that valley. And God is saying, I want to help you, but I'm disappointed. I'm frustrated. I want to help you, but will you? Yes. I'll give you wisdom. I'll give you strength, but God, I'm angry. I'm okay with that. At least be angry in my presence. Don't run from me. Lean into me. I'm the God of the yes. Some of you, the only God you ever grew up with was God of the no. And this Christmas, God is screaming. God is shouting. God is singing that Satan has so fixated and focused your attention on the no that you've missed all of God's yes. And in Christ, all of the promises of God are yes and amen. And God, I'm so grateful that the story of Christmas shouts that you're faithful that you're strong enough, smart enough, and that you always, 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 always keep your promises.